Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, you are smiling. You're on vacation. I won't tell folks how you're attired, but let's just say you're relaxed right now. Uh, let's just say that there hasn't been a lot of clothes been changed uh, since I got up this morning. Now, I was up early. I did get up about seven o'clock because I got this little, uh, what would you call it? A uh, forethought or a, a, a prequill or somebody had texted me and said, you got to check out the newest vehicle that's part of Florida State football. So uh, I got up early. I checked it out. I about decided I might need one because I can't ride the two-wheel version, but the three-wheel version will do real nice. I'm just going to see if Mike will let me borrow his slingshot when I get back in town and see how I do with it. You're discussing or talking about the new custom FSU Polaris slingshot that debuted at Midnight Madness. I don't know if they called it something else internally, but basically as soon as the clock struck 12, indicating that we had reached the month of June, the party was on for FSU football, which had a really nice haul of of kids, top prospects, many of them uh, on unofficial visits to FSU. They made us they made some noise. They did. And, and I had not really processed, you know, when you, when you talk about dead periods and when you talk about recruiting, I go back to the old school where the coaches would leave and be gone for a week and, and travel to various high schools and that type of thing. Uh, I don't know about our listeners, but I hadn't really processed. I knew that they were going to bring kids on campus over the weekends, but the concept of bringing them in one minute after midnight, when that was finally available, much like uh, we used to do in basketball and maybe sometime in the future still will when the uh, uh, training period opens up for basketball. I, I thought that was a wonderful idea. I think the kids really embraced it. I'm sure Florida State was not the only one to do it, but uh, I thought that was rather neat. And to correct the record, Keith, it wasn't one minute after midnight. It might have been one second after midnight that they opened. The well doors. said. Well said. I'm not sure who else did it, but from what I can tell, and again, people who listen to this show know, we are not the ones that follow recruiting 24-7, 365. But I'm not sure that anybody has been more creative on the trail in the pandemic than Mike Norvell and company. And I got to say, and again, as the non-recruit Nick in the room, who used to follow it pretty closely back in the day, I think they've been hitting home runs. I mean, you have to be outside the box. I understand that ultimately the proof will be in the pudding, as we always talk about. I mean, I don't care how many stars you have. Let me see on Saturday on a game day and how you're performing. The lights are on. But the fact that they are – whatever they're doing is resonating with the top prospects out there. When you're coming off a three-and-six season and two 
dismal seasons, three dismal seasons before that, I guess, compared to FSU standards. I don't think you can argue with how well they're, you know, how much traction they're getting right now. The only downside that I see, again, is the, is the old school. You know, if a, if a prospect is completely attracted only because you have the right uh, figures or icons that you're using uh, from a cartoon standpoint or your videos where you, you know, put the jersey and or the helmet on them and however they do it or the fact that your coach arrives kind of like the Wake Forest mascot in basketball games, but this time on a three-wheeler in the middle of Dope Campbell Stadium. If that's the only reason kids are wanting to come to Florida State, then that's a problem. But in today's world of hype and marketing and everything else that goes with it, uh, to be able to be known for doing those things, and as you say, two years, three years, five years from now, when uh, you start recording that uh, success on the field, certainly you're going to look at the staff and say they were very, very, very creative in how they've been able to, to get kids' attention and then hopefully bring them to Tallahassee. Yeah, if you think back just the last couple months, so they had Buku kids come in for the spring game unofficially because you couldn't do it officially, but it became a, a place where a lot of recruits came. They had the guest coaches from a media standpoint, which was good and drew some attention. Now, it's not like it's the first program in history that's had media serve as guest coaches, but it hadn't been done here in a while, and it, it went over well. They've done these camps around the state, which have been very well received, and I was thinking about that, Keith, and I've mentioned on here that my son Nolan is going to do the one in Tallahassee in a couple of weeks. If you've got a kid who's eighth grade or younger, and you know this from raising your kids, especially if you've played city league, but even if it's been a little bit uh, pricier than that, you know, and you're getting more professional instruction, it's going to pale in comparison to your kid going through a camp that's conducted by the 10 assistants and the head coach at a D1 football program. I mean, it's no surprise to me that everybody's raving about it because they're running it the way they run a football practice. I mean, it's going to be a top shelf experience. Uh, and, and, you know, back in the day, you would bring kids in and, and maybe not do so much. And, and we do have to give credit where credit's due. Jimbo Fisher was the first one at Florida State to make those camps truly instructional. I mean, we used to hear the stories about kids getting annoyed with Rick Trickett, Coach Trickett, because he was literally putting them through drills just like the, he would his, his uh, offensive linemen that were on scholarship. But those are the types of things that, as you mentioned, one, develop the skills of the younger kids. And number two, it leaves a lasting impression. You know, if you're a seventh grader, and you remember being in the camp, and uh, lo and behold, you grow three more inches and gain 60 more pounds, and now you're a legitimate D1 prospect, that has planted a seed that can't be taken away. And to clarify, we're talking about two different sets of camps here, really. I was referencing the one that, th that they've done around the state for eighth grade and younger, kids that aren't really prospects right now. And what well, you're talking the, about is – What I'm talking about is planting the seed and then taking it to the advanced. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. He, he has the mega camp coming up. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I've always thought, well, we don't have to have a whole Jimbo conversation, but, but you're right. If you get the kids on, on campus, then you can survey them. You can run the plays you want to run in your offense and see how they adapt. You can do the drills you want to do, all those type things. You can really get them hands-on. Back to your earlier point about do you want to land kids who are only coming because of the glitz and the glamour or how many likes or follows they got or any of that. 
I think the answer to that is no, but the things that Norvell and company have done, they have opened the door. They have gotten people here and now it's on them as a staff to evaluate and see, is it a two-way fit? You know, we know you're good on the field, but let's learn more about you off the field and see if you're really what you want in our program. And that's on them and the staff to do their homework and figure that out. But at least, at least you're not starting from knocking on a door and nobody answers because clearly the door has been open. They've come through and taken advantage of it. Agreed. And again, you and I, or me in particular, you a little bit lesser because you're, you're somewhat younger. You know, we may look at those things and think they're nothing but bells and whistles, but you know, that's the generational uh, interest right now today. I mean, I, I had three of the grandkids down over the weekend at our place and, you know, it, it, they spend time, you know, looking at keyboards or looking at screens and those types of things. You know, that, that wasn't even something that was a, a, a possibility when I was growing up. So the world has changed. So don't listen to the old guy talk about what he doesn't like. Pay attention to the novelty and to the creativeness of this new staff. Keith, I need to send you a video. A couple of weeks ago, Nolan, you'd be proud because he was playing quarterback for his flag team. So he was trying to channel his inner Keith Jones from your quarterback days, right? Yep. And, and he weaves around a kid and he scores a touchdown. Now, Nolan's a pretty quiet kid. He winds up and spikes the football like he was Terrell Owens at midfield at Dallas's stadium. And I'm thinking, where did that come from? I said, what was that about? He said, well, the other team was talking smack. They deserved it. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this is where we are. He's 10. And I, I hear you. Coach, I didn't coach it. He's, he's watching all the, he's playing all the video games. And there it is, Keith. I hear you. I, I hear you. No question. You, you referenced uh, Wake Forest, and I had the same thought. Wake Forest or Georgia Tech that are driving these uh, vehicles onto the field and leading their teams onto the field, you know, the rambling rack or the motorcycle at Wake. Who's going to tell Renegade that he's been replaced by a Polaris? <laughs> well, I'll tell this very quickly, but my first thought when I saw the video of it, um, uh, the late Don Falls, longtime trainer at Florida State, Doc Falls, Rooster Falls, when he retired in the mid-'80s, I was president of the varsity club and we bought him a car. Actually, Larry Strom bought him a car. Thank you, Larry. But we presented it to him on the field and I drove the, it was a station wagon of all things, a white Ford station wagon. I drove it on the field. Burt Reynolds was there because he was a longtime friend of Doc's and we gave it to him. And Burt had this great idea because it wasn't scripted this way that Doc would get in the car. Uh, Burt got in the front seat and I got in the back seat and he drove the car off the field. And I'm here to tell you, other than setting up the stages for the concerts after spring games, that's the last time a motorized vehicle of that type has been on the field till Mike took that slingshot on. So that's 30 years plus or minus, maybe 35 years. So you don't get a lot of uh, activity from a motorized combustion engine on uh, Dope Campbell Stadium's turf. And should anybody uh, take us seriously, which at this point, folks, if you're taking us seriously, I don't, I don't know. How well, you've got bigger problems. Uh, there's no plans to replace Renegade with the Polaris Slingshot. Just want to put that on the record there. <laughs> but but it, it is what it reminded me of. If you've ever yep. been awake and you see you see the deacon come out and there he is on the motorcycle with the team following. Anyway, Keith, I guess the the big takeaway. It's June. I'm actually excited about recruiting for the first time in forever. And I don't know what that means. I guess it's better than not being excited about it, but it, it means they're doing good things. Well, certainly the dead period um, has made it difficult and, and has made it where the only information you can get is from the kids themselves. 
uh, obviously information restricted uh, that the coaches can put out, but they can announce, you know, who, who was on visit, who made a visit, that type of thing. And I think it's going to um, continue to ramp up. And you, you put that with the transfer portal. And then uh, by all accounts, effective July 1, those that can can do name, image, and likeness things. You know, there's going to be a lot more out there for us to talk about in what was historically a dead period or a, or a slack news period. Uh, but again, face value, first thought, FSU doing remarkable things relative to their football recruiting. There's no question. Staying on football, Keith, two of the biggest, most prominent names in the history of Florida State football are on the uh, ballot for the 2022 College Football Hall of Fame. Warwick Dunn, Peter Warwick. Now, we really shouldn't have to deliberate or debate over either of these two. No, no. But that said, there's probably 80 names on the list, and they'll take 15 or 17. But those, those two both need to be in. And to me, it should not take years of being on the ballot. They should both be in. No, the, the, to be fair, Warwick Dunn will, will get additional consideration because of all the things he did with his foundation and the things he's done uh, since he retired from football. Pete will get a little bit of a backlash because of the suspension, you know, that he suffered uh, and then came back, was reinstated. Um, so I, I don't know that both of them will get on first ballot. I would think that, that, that Warwick would. I'm not sure about Pete. But in terms of what they did and are they deserving, there's no question. They're first ballot guys for me. I know we don't reference the Football Foundation, the, the College Hall of like we do the NFL in terms of first ballot, but both of them will be in there at some point in time, if not immediately. Well, and Florida State needs to have a lot more in there. We have this conversation every summer. I mean, there's seven Knowles in there right now, and yet there's 52 guys who played an Army in the 1940s and 50s. I mean, one of the criteria is you've had to have been a first-team All-American, and we've read over that list before, Keith. There's like 30 guys from the 90s that meet the criteria right. that you could – you could choose from these, these two are pretty far up the list. So we'll find out in December, but uh, hopefully not just one, but both of them get in. Uh, By the way, they right, moved Pete, the banquet. Pete. Yeah. They moved, excuse me. They moved the banquet from New York because I've actually had the, the honor of going one time when Ron Simmons was inducted, but they moved it to Las Vegas. Uh, I don't know what that means. And I don't know if that's a permanent move, but someone reminded me that Waldorf Astoria is undergoing a major renovation has actually been closed for the last while and won't be open but i thought that was a little interesting i don't know what it means of anything and that's the kind of inside info you get from one keith jones here on front row and speaking of uh, inside info our osceola insider bob ferranti will join us coming up after i remind you that the golf club at summerbrook is uh, open for business the course looks great 894-4653 students who listen to the show they got a special on wednesdays 25 bucks for 18 holes plus your cart doesn't matter what time you tee off and and as if that's not enough, you get two natural light beers. Keith, when's the last time you had a, a natty light? It's been a little while. It's been a little while, but uh, now that uh, you have prompted me, um, it may, may not be a long period of time before I have the next one. I do remember a night in our past where there were a lot of rolling rocks, but it wasn't natty light. Yeah, in fact, there were 186 of them. And, and that's a story for another day. Yeah, now that you mention it, I really don't remember that night. We'll take a break and come back with more from Runo.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back, Tom and KJ, with you as we open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to an old friend, Lulu, Eric Llewellyn. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? We are, we're doing well. I'm doing well. Keith? Uh, well as well. Okay. Now the we, butcher of the English language. Now that the pleasantries are out of the way, Lulu, let's get to the unpleasantries. Uh, well, that was... Now that the... Now that the uh, I, I, don't, I didn't really care what your answer was, so now that we got that out of the way, let's go ahead exactly. and get to the real stuff. Now that we check that box. So uh, <laughs> I guess your initial reaction is FSU a three seed. Should they have been a two? It doesn't matter at this point, but uh, your thoughts on how they got seated. Uh, I, you know, I, I think when you look at Florida state compared to other teams in the conference and where Florida state ended up in the conference, I, I think the three seed is definitely an eyebrow raiser. Uh, but, but like you said, at this point, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter. The, the two plays, the three, and outside of who the home team is in that first game, there's really not an advantage there to that. Um, so I, I don't know that it matters that much. Um, and certainly, I, I don't even know that you play the, the 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 jilted team card in this case because it's postseason, so you should be plenty motivated. If they had been a number two seed, is there any discussion possibility as you think back that they might have been scheduled in another region? Well, that's the thing. I, I think when you look at when you look at how everything shook out, Southern Miss was on that list of twenty potential hosts. Um, they lost. Uh, they they lost in the Conference USA tournament to Louisiana Tech, who was another team on that list of twenty. And it, it would really appear that had Southern Miss won the Conference USA tournament instead of Louisiana Tech. Southern Miss might be hosting and be a one seed rather than Louisiana Tech hosting and being a one seed. Uh, so, yes, that it, it may just be, hey, let's throw Florida State in Oxford. And since this team was almost a one seed, we'll make them the three seed behind them as a two. Let's stay macro for now, Lulu, and then we'll we'll dive down to the teams that that FSU is going to face this weekend. Uh you know, this year's, I guess, a one-off, and, and you know, Meet's been pretty vocal about the RPI and the fact the ACC skipped six non-conference games, which, uh, you know, largely in part of that, or because of that, the ACC ranked lower from an RPI standpoint. But but from a – even going beyond this year, where, where does this tournament need to go in terms of how they seed the field and sort of the geographical limitations they put on teams and, and who they're going to play? I mean, where's the room for growth and improvement here in your mind? Well, I, you know, it's funny you, you bring up the, the RPI, and I think we we saw this year how flawed that can be if you don't give it the full data set that it expects in the course of a season. Um, you know, I think Fairfield is the extreme example there. Um, Fairfield, just a couple of weeks ago, if you looked at their numbers, they're, they're only top 100 games. They had four top 100 games. They were all against the same team from their own conference. And then once they got beat, by that team in their conference tournament, suddenly everybody else in that, well, not everybody, but a lot of other teams from that conference jumped into, into kind of that top 100 uh, quadrant, so to speak. And all of a sudden Fairfield had 16 games instead of four games against teams in the top 100. So one win 
by one team in that conference against Fairfield vaulted everybody else's RPIs. And it, and it just, the, the RPI has seemingly been a mess this year. I, when you looked at how they chose those 20 potential host sites, it did look like they followed RPI quite a bit. And that kind of made you think, okay, what are they going to do once they, they get to deciding who's in this field? Uh, because they've got to go by something. Um, do you do you give a lot of credence to the RPI, even though it's pretty easy to look at it and tell that it's kind of warped this year, or or, or what do you do? And I, you know, ultimately, how they ended up sitting down and deciding all that is is the big question. Uh, certainly, some of the choices that they made this year are kind of in the micro makes sense. In the macro, they're nonsensical. Um, citing Alabama's strength of schedule as their reason to get in and and then saying well Pitt finished poorly that's why they're not in well Alabama finished poorly too so you know you're 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 applauding one team who finished poorly while holding finishing poorly against another team um and and, you know they're gonna have you know two or three or four or five or six teams every year that that can make that argument um, but but they've got to come up, I, I think, with a metric outside of a strict adherence to RPI or, um, you know, even the, the human side of it where you've got people who have a vested interest in voting one way or the other when it comes to certain teams making it. Uh, having those guys on the selection committee, I think, is a problem as well. And, and I, I don't know how you change that. You, you've got to pull these people from somewhere. And if you pull people in to make these decisions from the world of college baseball, who follow college baseball and who understand college baseball, I, I guess they're going to have some kind of vested interest in, in somebody along the way. Um, so I, I don't, I guess that, that's a long way of saying, I don't know what the answer is, but it, it feels like um, they, they've got to be able to come up with a better way to do this. Lulu, before we look ahead, one last look back, any moral victory uh that you lost to duke and they end up winning the acc championship i think the first championship they've won in baseball since what 1961 or is that water under the bridge uh, it's water under the bridge you, you you lose that game you move on and go and and certainly duke has won uh, what i think their last uh 13 games in a row now uh and, and that's a good ball club and sometimes you know sometimes good ball clubs beat other good ball clubs it's just kind of the way baseball goes uh so yeah you 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 flush that one you move on uh obviously florida state did because they came right back two days later in a game that uh that you could argue meant nothing but it's still two rivals going at it and and they got the job done in that one so you know I, i think the team did a good job of of getting rid of that game putting that game in the past and moving on to the next one and then you, you know, you have to do the same thing with that Miami game. You beat Miami four times this year, but now that you're into the postseason, that means absolutely nothing. So you just have to move on and 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 go with the flow and and play that next opponent. So, uh, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, okay, well, uh, maybe the hottest team, definitely the hottest team in the conference, and maybe one of the hottest teams in college baseball. Dealt you a, a lopsided defeat, but yeah, move on and and go to the next thing. So the million-dollar question, Lulu, is what is this Florida State team? You've seen them all year, and, you know, we can debate whether they should have been a two or a three, but there's a reason that's even up for debate, and that's because of the inconsistencies this team had this year. 
clearly better the second half of the season, I think, than the first half. But but what what, what do you – I mean, do you feel confident in what you're going to get every time you, you get ready to call a game? Well, I you know – I, I think you're you've kind of answered the question there, and certainly this has been a team that that has raised eyebrows at time um, by at times by uh, you know going out and losing to a Jacksonville had one win in the month of April. Uh, I think they were one in twelve or one in thirteen in the month of April, um, and at that time, at the time they beat Florida State, I believe that was their seventh win of the season. Uh, they end up winning nine games in May. They win their conference tournament. They're in the NCAA tournament. So in April, you say, wow, how do you lose that Jacksonville team? In May, they take that conference. They beat uh, Liberty and everybody else in the Atlantic Sun, which I, I always say is an underrated baseball conference, uh, to win that thing. So maybe they can play a little bit when they when they are properly motivated. And certainly Jacksonville gets properly motivated against Florida State. Um you know, you, you lose a game to Florida Gulf Coast University. Uh, again, that's a, a team that was right there at the end. That's one of the teams that JU had to beat uh, in the double elimination portion of the Atlantic Sun tournament to win that Atlantic Sun title. Um, you know, as a one-off, uh, yeah, should you lose to Florida Gulf Coast? Probably not. Um, but, you know, sometimes those things do happen in baseball. I, I think you look at and hopefully what you see out of this team is uh, when the team is is on their game and getting after it, they can play with anybody in the country. Um, they, they certainly proved that. They went uh, one and one against a Florida team. They went 4-0 against Miami. They took a series on the road against Notre Dame, who uh, some feel like um, didn't get their proper respect by not being one of the top eight national seeds. Uh, so you, you, you do hope that that's what you get in the postseason. And again, you know, I go back to what I said before about, uh, it's postseason. Uh, hopefully you don't have to worry about motivation. You don't have to worry about guys playing their best. Um, you're, you're on the road. So there are less distractions to have to deal with. Uh, so certainly the hope is that, that all of that works into Florida state's favor in a regional that, that really on paper looks very tough. I, I think Ole Miss is an excellent ball club. I think Southern Mississippi is an excellent ball club. I, I don't know anything about Southeastern Missouri state, um, but you know, they, they had to do something to get where they are. So uh, I think this is going to be a very tough regional in a very tough environment to play in. To reinforce that uh, Lulu uh, in baseball, maybe more so than any other team sport. And all you got to do, as you mentioned, look at Jacksonville, look at Duke, you get hot at the right time, and what's happened in the past doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, there there is talent on this Florida State squad. They just haven't been consistent, as Tommy pointed out. Well, and I think there, there's a couple other things too that that you kind of look at, and, and I think one thing um, to me, and, and I think this plays into maybe some of the midweek uh, results. I, I think when you go into those games, I, I think there is an approach in play where they want to see, at least from a pitching standpoint, they want to see some of the younger guys, uh, get them some opportunities uh, and maybe a tendency to stick with those guys a little bit longer because they realize there is a, a future there. Um, you know, a guy like Carson Montgomery who struggled this year at times, they, they kept rolling him out there on Tuesdays uh, because they know how special Carson Montgomery could be or can be. And rather than just say, Hey, we'll get it worked out in practice uh, let's keep rolling them out there on Tuesdays uh, because we, we need to get this kid right because of that potential. Um, I, and I, I think that there are some teams that 
on a Tuesday like that would say, hey, you know what, let's go with somebody else. And, and again, we'll get it figured out on the practice field. They, they didn't do that with a guy like Carson Montgomery. Um, so I, I think that can maybe be part of what's going on in some of those weekday losses that otherwise you might raise an eyebrow at is to understand that, that at times maybe there was some um, a, a tendency to just go ahead and go with guys and say, hey, let, let's stick it out and see what this guy can do uh, because we need him. As we're talking, Lulu, I don't know that the rotation's been announced yet. Maybe you know, but this is an annual question that comes up, and it's in regard to should you hold your number one starter for the Saturday, you know, winner's bracket game. What's your thought on that in general, and then as it relates to this year's team uh, with Parker Messick? Well, I, I think it's certainly more common to see a, a one seed do it against a four seed, and certainly that's been Florida State's practice in past years. Uh, you know, it's funny. It, it always feels like uh, any time that and we we have seen a couple of times when Florida State has been a one seed and they've lost to a four seed. Uh, Bucknell is one that that comes to mind right away. Two thousand eight. Uh, every time that happens, it seems to there there seems to be a a tranche of fans that say, "I can't believe you guys didn't go with your ace. How could you not go with your ace against a four a four seed?" Well, it, that's never been something that Florida State's done when they've been the top seed going up against the bottom seed in a regional in an opening game, they've always, they've always thrown off uh, to use that term. Uh, they've always gone with somebody other than their, their top guy. And, and again, certainly that is more common uh, when you're a one seed going against a four seed. I, I think we're starting to see it more in two versus three games. Um, and I, you know, I've noticed it as some teams have come into Tallahassee and, and we've seen two seeds do it. We've even seen a couple of three seeds do it where they've said, Hey, you know what? We're, uh, and I think it comes down to a philosophy of are you trying to win one or two games and extend your weekend, or are you trying to get to the next to the next level? Are you trying to get to the super regional? And I, and I think certainly the argument argument can be made both ways as to the benefits of either throwing your number one guy in that opening game or uh, throwing a two or a three in, in that opener. Um, you know, as a, you can take a philosophy in a two, three game of, Hey, you know what, if we can't, if we can't have our best on the mound against the number one seeds best in game two, we're not going to be able to win this thing. And the idea is not to win a game or two. The idea is to win the whole thing. So if our best chance to win this whole thing is by having our number one guy on the mound on Saturday, then let's go ahead and do that. Um, the other side of that argument is, you know what, you, you, it's tough to fight your way out of the loser's bracket. So if you put yourself in the loser's bracket by way of the pitching choice you make in game one, you're potentially putting yourself in a worse situation. Um, so, I, you know, I can see both sides of that argument. Um, as far as what Florida State's going to do, that part I don't know. Parker Messick is set up and should be ready to go on Friday. He pitched Friday against Miami in the ACC tournament. Uh, certainly they could go that route, um, you know, but, but Florida state could decide, Hey, you know what? Our best chance to win this thing is to have our number one guy against Ole Miss. Uh, we can throw Bryce Hubbard out there against Southern Miss and then go with, uh, because we have a lot of confidence in Bryce Hubbard and then go with Parker Messick against, uh, or, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Throw Bryce Hubbard against Southern Miss. And then, uh, I'm, I'm getting my Mississippi's all confused. 
and then throw uh, uh, Parker Messick against Ole Miss, that could be a strategy they decide gives them the best chance of winning the regional. And, and you know, I, I think with some other teams, you can make an argument that, hey, going into a regional and winning a game or two, uh, getting to a third game, getting to a fourth game, even if you don't win the regional, that's something to be proud of. That's something to pat your back over. But I don't think Florida State is one of those programs. Uh, I don't think Florida State will get any moral victories out of winning a game or two in a regional. Uh, Florida State, with the history that this program has, they want to win regionals. They want to win super regionals. So I think you've got to go with the strategy that that gives you the best opportunity to win and get to the next round. Lulu, I have always been under the impression, and this is anecdotal only, I have no statistics to back this up, back this up but the ball travels better in Mississippi. Is that, <laughs> it, it, you know, is that just me, or has anybody else ever talked about that? Uh, I have never before heard anybody else espouse such a, a, an opinion. All right, well, I'm espousing the opinion as I want to. I want that ball to travel farther in Mississippi. Uh, but only when it's hit off of bats from the state of Florida? Correct. Okay. All right. So you, you want the ball to travel better off of bats from Florida in Mississippi than off of bats from Mississippi in Mississippi. Correct. All right. I follow will, that uh, up, Tommy. That Tommy, follow, follow that up. <laughs> well, I don't know that I can top that one. Uh, but, Lulu, <laughs> as we wrap up, you know, if FSU for FSU to win this regional, what needs to happen? Um, yeah, I, I think Florida State needs to be on top of their game. And, and I think you need to get that offensive production that we have seen. I, I think you need to get the offensive production going from from nine spots. Um, and, and we've seen that a few times this year where, where everybody is producing at the same time. Um, but I, I think that's something Florida State's going to need. Um, we, we've seen Jackson Green the last uh, probably – two weeks of the season, maybe three weeks of the season. He has really started to swing the bat well. Uh, Nander DeSatis at times swings the bat well. Uh, we've seen Nico Baldor, um, since the Notre Dame series, have some very good at-bats. They need him to get healthy and uh, so they can get him back into the lineup. Uh, he's had a hamstring issue that he's been fighting. Uh, they need Dylan Simmons to continue to have good at-bats. And I, I think those guys in the, the top of the order from that spot up, I have shown, uh, you know, a pretty consistent uh, ability to produce. So uh, get those guys in the bottom of the order to continue on the path that they've been on here the last two, three weeks. And, uh, you know, just the the starting pitching that, uh, well, just the pitching as a whole that we've seen, uh, I think, throughout most of the year continue to get that. uh, And if that happens, I think Florida State can win this. Uh, Again, I think it's going to be tough. Ole Miss. I think Southern Miss is a good ball club. I think Ole Miss on their home field, that's going to be uh, quite an atmosphere. You're probably going to have 10,000 plus people uh, in that ballpark and they'll be loud. Uh, So I I think this is going to be a very tough regional, but I certainly think it's one that Florida State can win if they're playing their best. Lulu, have fun and have a great call, okay? All right, guys. Appreciate it. The voice of uh, the Seminole baseball team, that is Eric Allen. We'll take a break, come back with more right after this. Thank you. 
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to Bob Frante. How are you, Bob? Doing well. How are you guys? We're doing great. We got a lot on the menu, and we'll let you choose. You can, you can order up here. Uh, we've talked football and baseball uh, thus far, but you've got a, a golf national player of the year. You've got softball going to the Women's College World Series. You've got the uh, Polaris that apparently Mike Norvell – keep somewhere and pulls out for special occasions. We've got Peter Warwick and Warwick Dunn on the college football hall of fame ballot. And I'm sure I shortchanged somebody, but where do you want to start, Bob? Well, we said May was going to be busy and we weren't lying. Right. I mean, for starters, we didn't oversell how fun May was going to be. Um, And Marvin Jones on the ballot too. I mean, can you think of three guys who are more deserving to be inducted in the college football hall of fame. I don't know how you, you know, like if you wanted to take your, your son or grandson or niece or nephew to Atlanta and walk around the hall of fame, you have to think about my criteria is, you know, this guy was incredible. I need to tell somebody in my family about that guy and he should be in the hall of fame. And I think all three of those are, are pretty, pretty incredibly deserving. We, when we talked no, about it earlier, I missed it, that Marvin was on that list, but yeah, I, all three of those guys should be in those, th- those three should be no doubters. Yeah, I think, uh, and Wally Burnham, who coached, um, you know, Kirk Crothers, Marvin Jones, Derek Brooks, he'll, he, he will be um, very diplomatic and not, you know, try to rank them, but they were all award winners. They were all, you know, incredible players. And I just, you know, again, I, I think the criteria is very, very much, you know, you have to be a first team All-American, you have to be 10 years out, but we're, we're getting well past, uh, you know, 10 years out on, on these guys. And I think, the, the big thing is to not forget them in a certain sense. Um, I know this sounds weird because a lot of us remember these guys, but back when, you know, that Florida state Virginia tech 1999 championship game was being shown, you know, during the pandemic, there were a lot of people younger on, on my Twitter timeline saying, you know, gosh, I just didn't know how good Peter work was. And then you see a game like that and it just, so I, I think there just needs to be, for for posterity that remembrance of, of just how incredible and how much they a lot of them changed those positions too six and saying excuse me tom i tried to over talk you there but uh three or four weeks back uh, i went to the fellowship of christian athletes banquet and and you know we were just sitting there and charlie ward was sitting with me uh, casey weldon had done a video brad johnson introduced mark rick i mean we we were around it so much that we forget about these guys because the force for the tree scenario. And it's like being around coach Bowden. If you've ever traveled with coach Bowden outside of Tallahassee, people are just in awe, but we're so laid back and familiar with him. It's no big deal. Yeah. There's going to be some kids in the next three, five years that I think Florida state is going to celebrate getting into the, to the college football hall of fame. At least I hope so. And as a public service announcement, the next time you're in Atlanta, go to the College Football Hall of Fame if you haven't done so already. We're we're all in agreement. The heads are nodding on that. And we don't get any residuals or kickbacks on that. Okay, uh, speaking of football, Bob, so Florida State had 
potentially some future college football Hall of Famers on campus unofficially after midnight the other night. The, the takeaway, Keith and I do not do much on recruiting, but we actually spent the whole first segment from a big picture standpoint discussing the fact that it feels like Mike Norvell and staff, they have been as creative as they could be. They've been outside the box. They have done everything possible to get traction for a program that needs it right now. And they've done it in the face of a pandemic and, and poor showings on the field. Not, not all their fault, obviously. I think they're to be commended for where they are right now. Now we'll see where the class lands, but I don't see how you could do anything more than what they've done right now. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest to not be able to communicate face to face with anyone and coming off a, a three and six season, even though it is a pandemic and it probably deserves an asterisk. They've done just about everything you can imagine from a sales, marketing, branding, social media. Um, they're, they're all over the place. They've, they've created quite the buzz and the momentum. And I think a lot of fans will still say, well, Hey, this is all great until those kids sign or until the, the program gets some wins to then sustain that class in, in 22 and then beyond into 23. I, I think it's, you're doing everything right. You're creating that, that positive energy. The, the mega camp on Sunday is going to have, you know, who knows how many schools, 50, 60, it's going to have athletes from all over the, the state and, and the region. Yeah. I mean, they're doing everything that you possibly can. It's been very creative to kind of see how they, they work. And, you know, it, it, it's building, building positive energy. I think Mike Norvell says it often, you know, speak positive about the program. And that's really what they've done through everything, um, you know, in person and, and through social media here. All right, let's do justice. We're going to have to go rapid fire now. Uh, the ladies leave today, I believe, Wednesday for Oklahoma City, one of the top eight programs. They'll take on UCLA. If I read it correctly, those are the two, not necessarily reigning national champions, but UCLA won it in 17, FSU in 18 or 18 and 19, whatever my dates were. That's going to be a pretty interesting matchup. Yeah, it kind of has a feel of, you know, they made it for prime time in that, that 9.30 slot on, on Thursday, UCLA winning it in 2019, FSU in 18. Yeah, I mean, and there's even, you know, some some faces that will will be remembered on both sides as, you know, the five Florida State players are on that 2018 team. They're going to go back out there to Oklahoma City. I, I think Coach Alameda all along has said this is a young team, and I think she was trying to temper expectations. But honestly, because of the veterans – to go along with the pitching and defense, they've been able to kind of overcome some of their issues throughout the year and get to the women's college world series. I think it's been a, a good job of coaching through a lot of obstacles this year. Now the women's golf team finishes tied for ninth. The men's team was bounced in the uh, quarterfinals. So uh, at least a top eight finish. Uh, they lost to Pepperdine. I believe it was three and a half to one and a half, which just doesn't seem like the right golf score. Uh, but, uh, you know, John Pack uh, continued to rack in hardware. Been a lot going on on golf, both men and women. Yeah, it's tough to see John Pack's career end, uh, you know, a few days shorter than, than you would have liked. But he's, he's up for all the major awards. He's already pulled in one. He, he could get the Ben Hogan and the Jack Nicholas Award over the weekend, too. Um, you know, if you had a chance to catch him at some point in his career, uh, some of the legacy course where we were a couple weeks ago, you, you watched – you know, arguably one of the best who's ever played for Florida State. It's been a remarkable career, and it'll be fun to watch him play it on the on the pro circuit because he's already got, um, whether it's an exemption or because of his college ranking, he, he's already up there in line to play some pro tournaments coming up this summer. 
Well, that brings us to baseball, Bob, and we haven't talked about that uh, with you, though we talked about it extensively with Lulu last segment. General thoughts on Florida State's placement, prognosis, prediction, whatever pitching, whatever else you'd like to add that starts with P. I understand where Mike Martin Jr. is coming from. I think he he called the selection process laughable. You know, we discussed the RPI a couple weeks ago. It, because of that lack of non-conference games, it, you don't have that cross-pollination, and it, it makes it very challenging for the committee. How is Pitt left out with the job that Mike Bell did? How does Notre Dame and Link Jarrett not get a, a national seed? There's a lot of craziness there. How is Florida State a, a, a three-seed? in a, a regional that where Ole Miss is projected to make it to Omaha, Southern Miss was almost projected to, to earn one of those 16 regionals. Um, lots of good pitching is kind of the feedback that we're getting early on as far as how this regional could play out. Um, could be a really entertaining regional. Force just has to bring enough bats, just enough bats to, to get some runs across and, and back up. I, I think Parker Messick has to get the ball on Friday for Florida State to enjoy a long weekend. They're in Oxford to uh, to just get the Seminoles off to the right start. You think he has to go Friday? I would. I, I mean, I'm just saying that because Bryce Hubbard has has struggled, and and it just it doesn't feel like he's had momentum. Parker Messick's been the guy, the guy that you can lean on for six plus good innings, and I think you need to have that in game one. I made the point with Lulu; he didn't latch onto it, but I think you talk about the bats. I think Florida State's got to hit some balls out of the park. Uh, they have just not been successful manufacturing runs. And if they don't get some long balls, it might be a long weekend in Mississippi. Yeah, and just purely looking at numbers, the, the pitching staffs for Ole Miss, Southern Miss, they don't walk guys. I mean, they're not going to give you the freebies. Florida State's going to have to be very much aggressive at the plate and not expect to get the free passes. I mean, I mean, yes, it's fine to be selective and to choose a good pitch that you feel you can put in play and get on base – but, but this isn't one where, you like you said, you can manufacture. You've got to get on base in front of you know, Matt Nelson and Robbie Martin and Elijah Cabell and have those guys you know, drive you in. That's, that's the only way you're going to get through this tournament, this regional. I'm glad you mentioned Pitt because they got flat out screwed and I felt bad for Mike Bell. And nobody will care because college baseball is not high enough profile. But there's no world where you would list 20 teams – as potential regional host sites and have any scenario in mind where any of those 20 schools would not make the field two weeks later. I mean, I realize they lost six or seven in a row, but it's just not plausible that it would play out that in mid-May you're going to host a regional and at the end of May you can't even make the tournament. I mean, Mike's got to be – Mike Bell's got to feel disgusted. Yeah, I think there was a a real breakdown – and in Mike Martin Jr.'s view, I need to kind of circle back to him on it and make sure I'm understanding it. But it seems like the committee said before the season, we're not going to be heavy into RPI. We understand you're going to not play too many non-conference games, that you're going to kind of beat up on yourselves as part of a, a conference-only schedule that, that's very much the way Florida State scheduled. I mean, there were those two Florida games. There was Troy. It was JU, a couple of midweeks, North Florida. But, but overall, you were playing ACC versus ACC. And then it was almost held against you in the selection process. I mean, I, I feel terrible for even Louisville was a top 10 team in, I believe, in April when, when Florida State and Louisville played. And then just to see how, how this kind of turned upside down, 
I, I feel awful about how it played out. I, I don't know what the correction is for next year. I still argue, you know, I think Mike Martin Jr. would love to play Florida as a three-game series, as a weekend series, and maybe you play that in three cities, and maybe you try to play Auburn, maybe you try to play LSU. You, you got to boost that non-conference schedule as best you can. Um, I, I just didn't like the way it played out. It just didn't feel right to me. Tommy usually has all the great ideas, but I had this one. Let's do like basketball and let's have an ACC-SEC uh, matchup. And we'll take one weekend where both conferences agree that we're going to allow an ACC and SEC team to play. We'll match them up and we'll play a three-game series on a designated weekend. Sounds good for a lot of reasons. Competitive on the field, ticket sales. Uh, I think the TV networks will be in on it. You either have SEC network or ACC network, maybe even ESPN, ESPN2 trying to pick up a couple of those. I, I don't see how it can't hurt. Um, but again, for some reason, Florida doesn't want to play Florida State in a weekend series. They would probably argue they play a good enough schedule against the SEC. I think you can never have good enough out-of-conference play in a sport like college baseball. I, I'd be all for it. Well, here's where the idea comes in, Keith. This is where I'm going to take your idea and I'm going to crystallize a little more. So the reason Florida and FSU went away, because they, they used to play four, four days consecutively, two in Gainesville, two in Tallahassee, is in, I think it was 2007, which is the first year I did radio. Uh, maybe it was 2008, but they shortened the college baseball season. It used to start like the last weekend in January, and they moved it three weeks later till For the Northern Valentine's. schools. And they did yep. it because the Northern schools were at a disadvantage because the weather's bad, get leading up till January. Well, newsflash, it's still bad leading up to February 18th, right? But here's what they could do. You, you could get a couple weeks back on the end of the season. Now it gets complicated because there's pro ball and there's the draft and all that. But I, I think there's been talk about, you know, instead of having the College World Series finish when it does, push it back two weeks. Maybe it finishes over 4th of July. You could lengthen the season. Anyway, I'm going a long way to say that that's what happened is they compressed the season. And so your non-conference turned from some of those series on the weekends to filling in Tuesdays and Wednesdays with Jacksonville and Stetson. And that's really where those non-conference games went. But I'm with you, Keith. I, I like it. We got, and, and I like the tournament idea. So let's do it. Spe speaking of Florida, and I haven't followed this at all, but because I was in New Orleans over the weekend, you know, the big college baseball news there was that Paul Maneri announced his retirement. And so I looked at a, at a headline and the story had top candidates to replace Paul Maneri. And the first name on the list was Kevin O'Sullivan from Florida. And I'm thinking, well, if there's one school that could pay more than Florida, LSU would be it. So I have no idea where that search is going, but, but he was on the short list. <laughs> yeah. It kind of raised my eyebrows too. Cause I thought, wow, that would be, you know, to, to have an SEC, the SEC coaching transfer like that would be unusual. And especially guys won a national title at Florida and he's got a brand new ballpark, but you know, if, if Sully wants a job at LSU, he wants to challenge. If it's more money, it feels like he can, you know, truly own a state in recruiting. Whereas, um, obviously he's recruited Florida quite well. I'm not saying that, but he does compete against a lot of schools in the state of Florida for the best talent. If he wants it, go for it. I, I don't think Florida state fans would, would, you know, shed a tear. If, if Sully went to LSU, I think that would be a, uh, a welcome development for sure. I'll just remind you fellas that uh, in the last two weeks, Florida has given their football coach an extension. They have given their basketball coach an extension on the men's side, and they will shortly, I guarantee you, be given their baseball coach an extension. 
So I don't think unless there's something I've never heard about uh, that attracts Sully to LSU, I think he'll still be in Gainesville. They've already shown a penchant that they like who they've got and they want to keep them and they can. And, and Mike White has had a lot of success against Florida State lately. I mean, he's only dropped seven in a row. So it, it's fine if he wants to stay in Gainesville. I, I know a lot of fans who are just thrilled that Mike White got that extension. Tommy, Tommy, my comment there is sarcasm, Sheldon. Tommy, that's sarcasm. I, I understand, KJ. I understand. Uh, we need to wrap this up. I will point out, by the way, because we haven't talked about it, that I was at the softball game the other night when Florida State clinched, and uh, it was a great experience. Uh, interesting for me because I don't usually sit in the stands, and I'm certainly not in the parents' section. So on top of being a fan and being on the edge of your seat from the roller coaster emotion, when you're sitting next to the parents who've spent their entire – the last 20 years of their lives at softball games because their daughters are on the team – uh, it was it was interesting to appreciate the highs and lows, which ultimately it ended up in a high for FSU. But it was a good time, all except the nine dollar Mick Ultras at Tiger Stadium. Everything else was a good time. <laughs> Tommy, you didn't take your customary hundred dollar bill. What's that? You didn't take your customary hundred dollar bill. That would have gotten you at eleven. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, no, uh, more than that. And uh, our good friend Hugh Tomlinson from Seminole Boosters, whose daughter is on the team. He was drinking the. By the way, the nine dollar Mick Ultra was the twelve ounce bottle, not not an extra large size. So I looked down at him drinking it, and I held up my bottle of Stella, and I said, "Hugh, I figured for nine bucks for Mick Ultra, I could splurge and spend ten for the spell for the Stella, which is what I did." Yeah, the Mick Ultra at nine is is almost like uh, water. You're almost hydrating at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Anyway, that that wasn't the main part of the story. It was a good experience with or without the Mick Ultra and Stella. Anyway, congrats to Lonnie and uh, and her team. Bob, appreciate it as always. Take care, guys. All right, back with more to wrap things up right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Just a couple minutes as we finish up. Keith, good conversation today. I, I guess it will slow down here in the next couple weeks, but it's it's been pretty uh, fast and furious here. Well, again, back to what we talked about, we got that mega camp coming up uh, in the weekend and, you know, the other things associated with opening back up football recruiting. And then, of course, baseball in uh, Mississippi, hopefully to continue on softball at the World Series, what we've seen with the I mean, maybe we'll still have things to talk about. We'll have to put off our uh, list of uh, here's what we talk about when there's nothing going on. We'll have to put that off until another time. Well, we'll see next week if, if softball is still around, if baseball advances. Track will have a big contingent out in Eugene, Oregon next weekend. That they will. We didn't even touch on that. that They've they got will. a chance for top 10 finishes, I think, uh, certainly on the men's side, maybe on the women's side as well. I don't know how much higher they can go. you got to get everything to break right. But, uh, Keith, it was fun. We shall uh, do it again next week, I presume. Look forward to it. Are you, are you going to get out of your pajamas and actually get dressed and, and function in the real world, or are you still going to be down at the beach house just chilling? Uh, taking uh, the missus out to dinner tonight at one of our favorite restaurants. So yes, I will. Uh, I will make myself presentable later on. 
Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Control.